Good morning, everyone. Rise and shine. So I'm going to add to that. Good morning, everybody. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, we're going to try to do a congregation participation. <laughs> so um, when we sing the chorus, Hallelujah, Down the Glory, this side of the room will sing Hallelujah, and that side of the room will sing Down the Glory, and then at the last line, everybody will sing. We'll give it a shot. Follow Something your different. Follow your leader. <laughs> I can't believe we did something we've never done before. That's, we're not supposed to do that as a church. Romans 6, 9 says, because we know that Christ, because we know Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning and lift you up in worship. Father, as we're here this morning, I pray that our hearts and minds are focused on you. Lord, I know that the world can really be tough, and for some of us, it just feels, it feels like we got beat up this week. But Father, as we're gathered here today, we're here to lay that all aside and to sing praises to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We're here to lift up Jesus together. Amen. And we're going to continue singing here in a moment. Please make sure you fill out your connection card. And uh, for those who are online, there's instructions to do it online, and the same here if you'd like to do it online with us. This morning, we're here to praise the Lord. We're glad that you, you've decided to be with us to do that this morning. You may be seated.
Good morning. That's not me. I, I just want to praise God. Um, recently, I've been going through a lot of things, and God has really been watching me, and he's been watching us. So this is from our heart. From a distance, the world looks blue and green, and the snow-capped mountains white. From a distance, the ocean meets the stream, and the eagle takes to flight. From a distance, It's the voice of every man. From a distance, we all have enough, and no one is in need. And there are no guns, no bombs, and no. It's the heart of every 
This is a song for every man. And God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. God is watching us. God is watching. God is watching us from a distance. Very pretty song. <clears throat> when you look around this morning and you're sitting here, and you look around the sanctuary, do you feel pretty comfortable? I mean, many of you here know most everybody. And I think sometimes when we get around people we know, we tend to feel comfortable. Unless they know us too well, then sometimes. But, but uh, we... we we feel a comfort in that. Now, when you look around, do you think we have enough people here today? Yeah. Huh. What do you see when you look around you in the world that you live in each week? When you see the people that you're around, whether it be at the restaurant, the grocery store, place of work, in your neighborhood, what do you see? When you deal with people who are lost, what comes to mind? Do we let the comfort of our situation, maybe even here at church this morning, um, affect how we look at people who are lost? Do we see them differently? When you look around at lost people, what should you think? How should you feel? What should we try to do? How does Jesus, this is probably the most important question, how does Jesus see lost souls? When we look around us this morning, do we feel comfortable and satisfied with the amount of folks we have here with us today? This isn't a numbers pride issue. You know, a lot of churches, oh, we want to be a thousand people. Okay, well, why? Why would we be happy with the number of folks we have here this morning or maybe dissatisfied? If it's an issue about, well, we just want a bigger church, there's a problem there. There's a real problem there. This is an issue of knowing people in our own worlds that don't know Jesus. This is what it boils down to. It's not about having a bigger church to have a bigger church. It's about knowing that in my world and in your world, there are people who are lost. How should we feel about that? What should we do? Once again, more importantly, how does Jesus feel about it? I've actually heard people tell me throughout my ministry, Jeff, I, I really want to, be, I want to be a part of a small church because I can know everyone. 
Okay, I understand that in a way. But the problem with that philosophy is that it will take away our motivation to seek and save those who are lost. Because when we so focus on saying, well, I want to stay small, that tells me, that tells me and it tells you that I really don't want to bring more people in, that I don't really have a motivation to reach them for Jesus. And once again, this isn't about a bigger church, although that'll result. It's about something that's more profound than just the numbers. In our text today, Jesus is facing another attack from the religious goon squad. And so he gives a series of three parables that are designed to both refute the attacks and to explain why Jesus is doing what he's doing and the very things they're criticizing him for. In the very beginning of this chapter, it says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, my word, how can he do that? Well, Jesus is going to answer that question with this series of three parables. And as we look at these three parables, one of the things that you'll notice is you'll see that there are basically four ways that we talked about that we can become lost. And all of them are evident in this remarkable sermon that Jesus preached to refute and to answer exactly why he's eating with the tax collectors and with the sinners. One way people are lost is from wandering away from the flock. That happens. And the lost coin that we'll look at next week, through no fault of its own, it was lost through the inability and carelessness of the, of the woman who had the coin. The prodigal son was lost by overt and willful disobedience. And the elder brother was lost through pride, selfishness, and self-righteousness. And so you'll see that theme throughout these three parables. The big idea to our message is very simple. Christ seeks the lost, the outcast, the weak, leaving the herd for the sake of the one. In our, in our three-week series, it'll unpack Jesus, as we unpack Jesus' lost parables, as the title of this series is, the lost, the lost uh, sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In understanding God's heart for sinners, in understanding God's heart for those who are lost, and bringing the lost to him, we can celebrate salvation and the conversion of those who come to him. And we can take joy in knowing that we're a part of that and to help bringing them into the kingdom of God. So today we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through 7. We've already covered the first two verses, so we'll jump down to verses 3 and 4. It says this. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go look for the one that is lost until he finds it? So Jesus brings up the dilemma. The dilemma. The religious goon squad is continually critical of Jesus, continually critical of who he spends his time with, who he eats with, what he does with his life. The squad was particularly up in arms over the fact that Jesus had the gall to sit at the same table with sinners and tax collectors. I crack up when they always mention tax collectors. But anyway, um, table fellowship and breaking of bread together was a sign in a, of, it was a sign in the seal of full acceptance. In other words, the way they looked at it is if you sat down and ate with somebody, which was one of the most intimate acts because food wasn't easy to come by, that you were approving of the lifestyle of those whom you're eating with. That's what they surmised. Remember the charge, which almost became a refrain of rejection for Jesus, 
Behold, a glutton, a drunkard, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see that in chapter 7 and verse 34. The attitude of these self-righteous leaders of the people who held themselves to be far above the common class of sinners was itself the worst of sins. These religious leaders, the shepherds of Israel, instead of tending to the flock, they took great joy in knowing I'm better than them and they're not worthy of God. Jesus made this the climax of his sermon on the lost and he exemplified by the older brother in the third parable that we'll look at in a couple weeks. Jesus begins his parable when he says, hey, how many of you, if you had 100 sheep and you lost one, what, would you go out and leave the 99 for the one? He knows the answer to that question. You know why? Because the sheep had value to them. So when one was lost, when one wandered off, of course they would leave the 99. They wouldn't just say, well, that's just one sheep, it's gone. <clears throat> Jesus knew the answer to the question. Every single one of them would have done this. <laughs> the person wouldn't say, well, I have 99. That's okay. And then the next thing you know, well, I have 98. That's okay. I have 97. And you can keep doing the math. Imagine if the shepherd had the attitude that, well, I still have 99. When the next one wanders off. Now you are down, to, down another one, and eventually you have no sheep. The shepherd loved all hundred of his sheep, and losing the one that wandered off was a big deal because the shepherd placed great value on those sheep. You see, if we place great value on those who are lost, we will do what we can to try to help them change that state. We can't save them. That's a decision they have to make. But we can share the message with them. We can show the message to them. We can live the message before them and help bring them to Jesus. See, Jesus does not only love those who are in the church or only the saved. He wants all to be found. Scripture tells us that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is everyone that that desire is there for. I enjoy the Mission Impossible series, and I don't know what's so impossible about those missions. I, I, you know, I don't know. They look pretty real to me. But the director of IMF says this, speaking of his greatest agent, Ethan Hunt. He says, "Some flaw deep in your core, being simply won't. Uh, excuse me. Some flaw deep in your core, being simply won't that, that will not allow you to choose between the life of one and the life of millions. Now you see that as a sign of weakness to me. That's your greatest strength." And see what Jesus and our attitude should be. If we have to pull away from the 99 to go after the one, we should do it because the one is important. The one is important. Our passage under consideration, Jesus maintains the same sort of attitude. It is not enough to have 99 sheep if one is lost. So Jesus goes out to reach those who are far off, leaving the herd for the sake of the one. Too often, we are so in love and we are so enamored with the other 99, we forget about the one. And believe me, there are a lot of ones out there. Why should we care about the one? We care about the one simply because Jesus does. And see, as Christians, it's not just saying I'm a Christian. It's not just wearing a gold necklace or gold ear, you know, or cross earrings or whatever. It's about thinking like Jesus thinks. 
And so in our own lives, when we have people in our world that aren't saved, it's really easy, and, and I fight this too. Well, I really don't want to say anything. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to jeopardize the friendship. But yet, how would Jesus, how would Jesus look at your friend who's lost? Would he say, well, I understand why you won't share the message. I understand why you won't show them the message. I understand why you won't live out the message. You don't want to be uncomfortable. Like, Jesus was all about comfort, right? He never did anything that, that, that rocked the boat. But see, who is the one in your flock, if you will, that you're seeking? Who is the one out of your hundred friends that wandered away? Because see, too many times we think, we'll leave it to the professionals. We'll get Jeff and Jerry on the scene. But the problem is you have people in your flock, in your world, that, will, that Jerry and I could never reach because we don't know them, but you do. So it's incumbent upon all of us to realize that we all, if you will, have a flock. And when we see those outside of that who are lost, what are we going to do? Huh. When the shepherd left the 99, they were safe. Because as long as they stayed together, they would be fine. And we don't know, maybe the shepherd got another one to watch them. But he wouldn't leave them in danger. The one who wanders off is the one who isn't safe. The one who wanders off wanders into danger. Because sheep, we'll talk about them in a minute, but sheep, they just don't have anything going for them. <laughs> They're pretty defenseless. I mean, God, if God was going to make a defenseless animal, he did a good job with the sheep. On one hand, there's wisdom in choosing your friends wisely. You know, sports stars, for instance, are told not to hang out with gamblers. Although, I don't know, that seems to be changing because everything now is all about gambling. It's really weird uh, about that. Uh, teenagers, you know, when you have your teens, you say, watch who you run with because if your teen starts running with gangbangers and druggies, there's a pretty good chance they're going to end up doing that themselves. In the big cities, you know, parents forbid their youngsters any contact with street gangs. Why? Because there's a pretty good chance eventually that's going to happen. But see, in Jesus' case, he spent time with those tax collectors and sinners, not to say, man, you're doing a good job, keep, keep up the life. But instead, his mission was to share the good news to these people. See, the shepherds of Israel did them a disservice. They did the people a disservice because instead of loving the nation of Israel, the religious leaders loathed those people who weren't in their class. And the lesson for us in the church is we should never think, here's us in the church and here's everybody else. Because God doesn't see it that way. God loves them as much as he loves you. And so therefore, we need to have that passion. See, churches today should be like an oasis in the jungle for sinners and for the, all the notorious types. I've had people say, well, they're nothing but hypocrites in the church. Good. Hope they all come to church. Maybe we can help them. Instead, Many times in the church, we only care for the clean-shaven and the well-healed. And I have to say, one of the things I love about this church is no matter who walks through these doors, we've made them feel welcome. And I feel it's, that's the way it should be. Whether they come in literally from the ditch next door or they come in in a Mercedes, they're made to feel welcome. Religious leaders fancied themselves at that time as the shepherds of Israel, and yet they did not even want to be around the flock. They wanted to be around other religious people so they could feel good about themselves. And see, as Christians, 
the temptation is let's just all gather the ranks together. We're in a terrible world right now. There's a lot of garbage going on. And I tell you what, every generation says this, but I don't think any generation is dealing with what we're dealing with now in this nation. It's getting bad. I mean, the junk that we're trying to teach these kids and brainwash them, I fear for where we're going to be in another 10 or 15 years. But the temptation is to close ranks. See, this is what the religious leaders of Israel did. Oh, I don't want to be around those, those stinking sheep. They're not as good as we are. We need to get into the world. Jesus talks about being salt and light. We've talked about that before. It may seem foolish, really, for the shepherd to leave the 99 to search for the one. But the shepherd knew the 99 were safe, whereas that lost one was in danger. Because each sheep was of high value, the shepherd knew it was important to diligently search for the lost one. The dilemma is this. What do you do when one of the flock wanders off? Do we just say, well, see ya, see ya? The answer to that question is we give pursuit. We see so many lost sheep, we must pursue them and bring them to Jesus or try to bring them back to Jesus. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> After he went out on the hunt, it says this, Then when he found it, he places it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. So the next thing is we have the reaction. See, each evening, and probably more times than that, but at least each evening, the shepherd would count his sheep. One sheep. Then he'd fall asleep as he's counting them. But anyway, he would count his sheep to make sure that none were lost. If he found that one was missing, he would leave those the behind, whether they were 99 or 299, and he would personally go find the sheep. He didn't say, well, I'm going to call and hire a private investigator to go find out where the sheep is, or I'm not going to call the preacher or the associate and see if they can find where that lost sheep went. He decided to do it himself. And when you have lost sheep in your fold, it is your job to go after them for Jesus. The church will help as much as we can, but ultimately you need to seek and save them to try to bring them to Jesus, I should say. Now, when the shepherd in our parable went out to find his lost sheep, guess what? He found him. He found that sheep. And when he found the sheep, the shepherd placed it on his shoulders and he returned it to the flock. Shepherds of the east most often would carry the sheep on their back because it was much easier to carry that sheep than it was to drive it. Carrying the sheep back to the flock showed compassion and care for that lost sheep. When sheep wander away from the flock, they are in danger. So this parable has the utility of a warning also. Lost sheep separated from the flock from the shepherd. This is a warning to us that whenever any child of God wanders away from the church and wanders away from the shepherd, they're in danger. Finding and bringing that lost sheep took much effort. The shepherd probably said, oh, there he is 25 yards away. He put a lot of work into it, but the work was worth it. And when we have people in our sphere of influence that are lost, people that have wandered away, the effort is worth it. We need to understand that bringing, them in, the bringing in the lost sheep takes a lot of effort. It's not easy. We can't just sit back and say, well, I hope the sheep, find its way, the sheep finds its way back, because that won't happen. Who did Jesus spend time with? 
He spent time with those he was seeking to save. As a church, we're called to spend time with those we're seeking to save. So, yeah, we should have our fellowships and all this stuff. But remember, we do some of these things hoping that you'll bring some folks in who need salvation so that they can see we're not really weird. That, hey, you're safe coming in here. One of the reasons we broadcast and we put the broadcast out. So before people come in, they can see we don't do weird stuff. They know what we're doing. They know why we're here. As a church, we're called to seek and save the lost. So many times churches can get so focused in on themselves They want everything the way they want it. They want to hear the language they want to hear. They want to do the events they want to do. And we forget that, yes, we're here to help each other grow in Christ, but we're also here to seek and save the lost. And so, basically, if we forget that, one day we're going to lose a sheep. And for us, you know, since I've been here since 2007, we've had a lot of our sheep die. You know, in this service alone, wow. I mean, you look at the board, it's amazing. But look, we're still reaching more and more people. And it's not just about backfilling for people. It's showing that we are reaching people in our lives, and we have to continue to do that. The leaders, the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, would not lift a finger to reach those who needed to be saved. Instead, they just looked down upon them. And you see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. Ezekiel 34.4, which God wrote to the shepherds of Israel, says this. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the loss. But with force and harshness, you have ruled over them. And that's a perfect picture of what was going on in the days of Jesus. Instead of healing the sick, instead of bandaging the wounded, instead of reaching the lost, instead of bringing back those that wander back, they just threw more rules at them, 613 rules. And who knows how many, many offshoots off that. They, they burden the people. And when you didn't follow those rules, that's when you were considered a sinner. It wasn't just about the thief. If you didn't keep all their rules, you're a sinner. You're not as good as they are, even though they didn't keep them. But they didn't quite see it that way. The shepherd is unwilling to cut his losses and to count his blessings. He says, I've got to go after that one. He is concerned about the one lost sheep. The one sheep in danger takes precedence over all the other sheep until it's well and safe. Consider the the following facts about lost sheep. First of all, they're defenseless. They don't even have the gift of swiftness in fight, and they they can't run from danger. The very cries are a signal for the closing enemy, for the closing end of the enemy. When that thing's under attack, it starts bleeding, and it's like, oh yeah, the enemy's like, I got you now. I got you now. The other thing is a lost sheep does not have any sense of direction. I can relate to that. That's why I got the GPS. A carrier pigeon would find its way home. A dog might do so, and I've been told if a cat gets out of you put the litter box on the patio, it'll find its way back. I don't ever want to find that out. But the sheep has no clue. He's just bleating and wandering and eating and bleating and wandering. He has no idea where he is. The other thing is dangers surround the sheep. There are beasts of prey, poisonous shrubs, weeds, elemental forces, even walking off a cliff. All these things are very hostile to sheep. There are many insurmountable dangers that face that sheep. No less is true of the Christian who walks away from the flock. The the path is wrought with danger. What happens once the lost sheep was found? What was their reaction? 
Well, the first one from the shepherd was joy and also love. The shepherd didn't lecture the sheep about how stupid it was, how dangerous it was, can't believe you did this, look at all the work you put me through, and gripe at the sheep and beat the sheep and drive him back to the herd. He grabs that sheep and puts it on his shoulders and carries him back. He wasn't grumbling and complaining about how stupid he was for wandering off. What's the shepherd doing? He's rejoicing. When we bring somebody back to Jesus or bring somebody to Jesus, we should be rejoicing. Not talking about, I can't believe you lived your life that way. That was real stupid. We should be rejoicing. That's what the shepherd's doing. Now, what does the shepherd do when he comes back? He calls his friends to celebrate with him that he found the lost sheep. It's a joy. It's a celebration. One of the things I love, you know, here at First Christian, we baptize people into Christ any time through the week. We did one Wednesday night. But one of the things I do like about Sunday is we all get to rejoice in that gift of salvation. We get to cheer them on. We get to show them we're here for you to help you grow. Let's move to verse 7. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. So Jesus hammers them here with the rebuke. This part of the parable, I suspect, and I wasn't there, obviously, but I just wonder if Jesus wasn't looking right at the religious goon squad when he says this. This is going to make these guys very angry because, look, these guys weren't stupid. They knew what he was saying. And after the shepherd's radical act of love, of returning that sheep, calling his friends to rejoice with him, Jesus tells them this. He said, there's no greater joy in the heavens than over the salvation of one, than over the 99 who have no need for repentance. This isn't meant to, meant to set up a hierarchy, but it's instead a condemnation of the religious goon squad. See, the Pharisees should have been the friends rejoicing over the salvation of the sinner. But many times they weren't. Many times during Jesus' ministry, he heals somebody. What do they do? They grumble about he broke, they, they said he broke some stupid law they made up. They didn't care that somebody's life had just been changed. All they could think about, well, he didn't keep one of our rules. And that's all they did to him. They should have been the friends at the party when the sheep was returned, but they weren't. They grumbled and complained about Christ and his ambivalence toward their purity, man-made religious laws. That's all they could focus on. When Jesus speaks of the 99 who don't need repentance, he's specifically speaking of those religious leaders who think they're so self-righteous that they don't need to repent, that they're good enough to earn their salvation. And see, there are a lot of people in life today that may not wear the title of Pharisee, but they sure walk it because they think, I'm good enough. I'm righteous, I'm righteous, my righteousness is enough that I can get into heaven without Jesus. And Jesus says here that God doesn't really have any interest in that. Heaven itself is concerned with the salvation of the lost. Joy in heaven is a pledge that the unseen creation is interested in rescuing those who are lost. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big deal. You know, we, we're glad when we see people baptized in the Christ, but uh, the picture of heaven is just pure joy because that's what it's all about. We need to guard ourselves against thinking we're better than the lost sheep. 
and lose the passion for reaching them. The religious leaders had lost that passion decades ago, maybe even centuries. We need to realize that people who are lost are in danger. Our nation is sliding into hell because so many lost people are looking for answers and they're finding the wrong answers. They're trying to find answers. Why is my life miserable? Why am I unhappy? And they're finding the wrong answer to the question. And it's dragging the whole nation down. And as a church, we have to be that salt and light in the world. We have to be the ones that have the answer. Why are you so miserable in life? It's not because you can't figure out what, I, what gender you are. It's because you're missing Jesus Christ. You're missing the God who created you. And we need to make sure we take the message of the gospel. We need to have passion and energy when we reach the lost. Hey, you want to come to Jesus? Yeah, well, you know, if you come to him, uh, your Sundays are going to be taken. You're going to have to hear some dude tell you about the Bible. You're going to have to read it once in a while. Oh, by the way, you're going to be giving some of your money to God, too. Well, you know, see, who wants that? Who wants that? I've been watching, the, I watched the third season of The, of the Chosen, and every time that I they sh to pick Jesus healing somebody I just it just reaches me to the to my core seeing the joy I mean you read about it but the, the visual of seeing the joy that not only the person who is healed has but the way they show Jesus just being so joyful that he could bring that healing is just amazing to me and if his disciples you know they're watching this and it brings them energy and passion. We have the opportunity to help do something greater than healing someone who's blind. We have the opportunity to change their life, to change their eternal destiny, to give them the greatest gift that they could ever receive, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. By way of application, first and foremost, we should be meeting with and showing the love of God to those who are far from him. This means building relationships with people who might turn heads and even start rumors at times. Following Christ's example, we are called to associate with people who need the gospel. They need to hear it, they need to see it, and we need to show them we believe it in enough that, in, in enough that we live it. Further, we need to facilitate a culture of joy over those who come to faith, even if those people don't look the part as we sometimes think. Christ cares for the sheep that are far off, weak, hurting, and he calls us as a church to do the same thing. Our application point this morning is this. We should be meeting with and showing love to those who are far from God, facilitating that culture of joy over those who come to faith. This morning, we're going to give you that opportunity to come to Jesus. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to have a song of decision. And if you have not yet accepted him as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward during that song of decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to have the gift of eternal life through him, to have that joy, to have that peace. So many people I see in life, there's a lot of people that are very, very sad, very distraught in their lives, looking for answers. And the answer is Jesus.
And we're, we're, we're here to give you that answer this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And we'd love to have you be a part of the First Christian family. If you're struggling and need prayer, if you want to come forward, I'd be glad to lift you up in prayer this morning. But at this time, if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision.
We had a delightful experience this last week. My great-nephew is undergoing some extended training out on post uh, from the, the reserves, and uh, his parents came out, my nephew and, and wife, and to visit, of course, and um, we went out to dinner one evening. I wanted everything to go well with no distractions regarding our meal together. So I called ahead and uh, made sure that a table would be waiting for us. I wanted everything to be in readiness when we came together to fellowship. It was in readiness, and we had a great and meaningful fellowship time while they were here. Looking back, it reminded me of another fellowship meal with loved ones. Matthew 26, and beginning in verse 17. On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. At the evening time at the table, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, giving thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Time of fellowship. Communion is a special and meaningful time of fellowship with our family. Like our family meal together this past week, Jesus, as our host, made all the necessary preparations ahead of time so that when they came together, nothing would hinder their time of fellowship together. As I was the host for our family meal this past week, so Jesus is the host of this family meal. As we came together at the appointed time at the restaurant, so today we come together as a family to share with our host. As the disciples and Jesus had an appointed place for their fellowship, so we have an appointed place to gather together. As our time together was special, may our time together in communion be special today. Don't let anything disrupt 
or ruin this experience for you. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come, for the table now is spread. You famishing, you weary, come, and you shall be richly fed. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come while he waits to welcome you. Hear the invitation. Come, whosoever will. Praise God for full salvation for whosoever will. Father, we are thankful for this special time of fellowship with our family, church family, but most important with our host, you. Thank you, Jesus, for preparing for us to come today and to fellowship in this special, special way. In Jesus' name. On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. We have Young at Heart Monday. We have all of our uh, Jerry's, all of, all of Jerry's activities take place today. Uh, Roger's group is not meeting. We have all of our Bible studies this week. Prime time is going to be at the Hibachi Grill, so if you'd like to sign up for that, please make sure you do that before uh, Tuesday evening. Operation Christmas Childs, taking donations. The Art of Marriage, we're still signing up for that, so we'd like you to be able to do that. We have the CareNet uh, Walk for Life coming up. Narrow Path, we're going to be meeting on the 13th, so if you'd like to come to that, please sign up for that also. And at this time, uh, Paul Simniak is going to come up and talk to us about the security. You want to run the clip? All right, good morning. Um, so I have a few things to put out this morning. <clears throat> I don't want to take a whole lot of time, so I'm just going to go ahead and get right to it. 
So in regards to the security and medical team, so we've been working for a while, we're trying to get some capability going. Um, there we go, all right, that's the agenda, not important. All right, so right now with the medical team, we have a total of 10 members, seven are in second service and three are in first service. And I was gonna wait till later when I get the pictures up to introduce everybody, but the first service medical team folks, can you stand up real quick just so we can see who you are? We got Miss Catherine, we got Miss Sandy, and then Miss Sherry comes to first service. She's right back there. So these are your, uh, there you go. <clears throat> these are your first service uh, medical folks. Uh, when I get to the pictures, I'll talk about the second service folks too. Um, and then sometimes if one of these ladies can't make it, we'll have somebody from second service come down and kind of fill in and, and help out or whatever. Um, just the important thing is, if anything happens, if you are uh, uh, able and willing to help, just go down there, just do what they tell you to do, and they'll and you'll everything will be fine. Okay, all right. And then uh, right now, what we're doing is monthly meetings. So every month we meet at the first Saturday of the month. We get in there and we kind of refresh our skills, like with the basic things, like with CPR and a couple of other things. And we even moved into actually coming in here and role playing and acting out some things that are starting to happen. So it is an actual, like, legitimate capability that we're building within the church. Uh, next thing I'd like to go over is the equipment. So just so everybody knows where it's at, so if one of these ladies is like, go get me the bag, you know where the bag is at. So right back here in the back, right beside the, uh, the mailboxes in between uh, the admin office and the mailboxes. Uh, you have this uh, cabinet here, which uh, Bob hopefully put together for us. It's got the little uh, uh, medical cross on it, and you can see the bag right there. Now, that bag is a trauma bag, okay? So if you fall down, you need band-aids or something, do not touch that bag. We have another box that if you see one of our ladies, we will go and we will get you band-aids or whatever else you need. So that bag right there, actual trauma bag, everything in it is in a specific place for a specific reason because that's the way we train with it, all right? Um, the next thing is the AED. All right, the AED is in that white box. Sometimes you hear a little flutter, beep sound. That's because we're pulling it out. And we're making our checks on it and everything. Um, don't mess with it because if, if it does shock you, ladies, you won't get your hair straight for a week. I'm going to tell you that right now, okay? So just, uh, just be wary of that, okay? All right, so next I had a couple pictures of the team here. Uh, so we got our first service team here. Just like I said, Miss Sherry, Miss Sandy, Miss Catherine. Uh, second service, you know, we have Miss Peggy, who's back there already. Uh, she's one of our main trainers uh, doing the thing. Uh, Dale Stetson, he's also uh, one of our main folks there. Uh, she and Dale kind of work in tandem and are really putting this capability together. It's really them, not me, that's doing it. Uh, and then, of course, Miss Lori Bailey. Uh, we also have Stephanie and Sean. And then uh, that guy on the end, he, he's just happy to be on the team, folks. He's just happy to be on the team, and uh, he is well supervised, so don't worry about that. Um, all right, now for the future, what, we're, what we plan on doing is we, we want to continuously develop our skill set and get better and better at what we do and everything. Um, and then at some point, we're going to combine training with ushers because if something like this happens, what we do is we want to have a little bit of modesty and everything. So we're going to work with the ushers to learn how to maybe get other folks out of the area, so on and so forth. So we're going to work on that and keep developing our capability. And we will grow as needed. Uh, what I'd like to do, though, is that if more members, if more folks want to be part of the team, uh, this is a great exposure to getting some actual medical training. I know Jules has some young ladies on her team who are interested in actually being part of it. Um, I would encourage those young ladies and their parents to kind of talk about it if God's led you to do it. Uh, just be mindful that there is commitment. Like we do have the meetings once a month. 
Um, if you are on the team, you will be put on a schedule and you will need to help. But those ladies, those young ladies will actually get some good training. It'll get them good exposure because I think some of them want to go on and further and do uh, actual medical in the future. Um, and they will be a genuine help to the church. Um, and then let me skip over to security just real quick. So security, uh, right now we have made a couple of improvements. You can see these doors out here where we actually got some uh, screening and stuff on it. You can no longer access these doors from the outside. And to open them, all you're going to do is you're simply going to look at the little bolt, you're going to slide it to the right, and you can go right on out. Uh, and we're going to eventually maybe get some bumper locks. All you got to do is bump it and push it out. But that minimizes any kind of threats that can come from out there. We did a couple of other little things. But the big thing I want to talk to you about this morning is as far as putting together a scheduled uh, capability, a scheduled set of team members who are on duty providing security, we can't do that right now. We simply don't have the people to do it. Um, we, would wear, we would wear them out. They'd be doing it every Sunday. Um, so what we're planning on doing now is we'll still meet if there's small things we could do around here, some low-hanging fruit that we can pick and actually accomplish, we'll do that, and then we'll revisit it in the future, because I know some people have talked to me, but we need to ensure that they know what the actual requirements and everything are. But I figured that you are the congregation, we've been working on this a while, um, we're buying equipment stuff out of budget, you deserve to know kind of the status of what's going on. That's the status, if you have any questions, I'll be out there running my mouth more than, more than likely, and you can just come on out there and ask me any questions, all right? Thank you. All right. And we have had, have had to use medical on occasion, so it's something you hope you never have to do, but we're glad that we can take care of it. On the back of your, on the back of your bulletin, we have prayer requests and prayers of celebration. We had three baptisms on Easter Sunday. We had another one Wednesday night, so that's been really great. Um, Yeah, that's like seven in the last couple of weeks. Um, that's, that's amazing. Uh, we have people with health concerns. Please keep Ken Martin in your prayers. He had fallen off his, the roof of his house, and he's still recovering from that. Uh, it's probably going to take a while to get recovered, so keep him in your prayers. We have troops are deployed, shut-ins. We have the hospitality house. That's the outreach we're focusing in on. Karenette is getting ready to have their Walk for Life kingdom coming up soon, so keep them in your prayers. And we have many other people we've been praying for. So at this time, let's stand together. I will... Uh, We'll have a moment of, of silent prayer to the Lord, and then I will close this with prayer. Father, I pray that as we uh, leave, leave this place today, we leave this place with, with joy and with passion. And Father, that we will have an awareness of the sheep around us who don't know you. And Lord, help us to do whatever we can to help bring them closer to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody.